welcome to those of you joining us online. Thank you for making time to worship the Lord with us. And I'm gonna encourage you today in a principle that is pivotal to our understanding and to our experience of living in and walking in the strength of Christ in our lives and in our lives of faith. There's a scripture within this chapter that many of us are familiar with, but we're gonna read a little bit more of the chapter to get the context of what God is speaking to us and why this is so important, so pivotal to our lives of faith. But before we get into God's word today, would you allow me to do what I try to always do? And that's just take a moment and honor the Lord and just welcome his presence and ask him to come and to move in what we're going to share, what we're going to visit, what we're going to study together today. And I care very uh, deeply for every one of you guys as your pastor, but God cares even more. And so let's ask him to come. I'll pray corporately, but would you just invite the Lord, open your heart to your unique life, your circumstances, your challenges, your opportunities, your obstacles, whatever it is you're going through, God sees, he knows, and he cares. And he has a good hope, a good future for you. And my heart, my prayer today is that this message would be a part of connecting you to it in a new way or a fresh way. And so let's just pray. Right, right where you are, you begin to just ask the Lord to speak to you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. God, that's our prayer today. Would you come, Lord? Would you use an imperfect preacher, an imperfect message to reveal the heart of a perfect father, Lord? Would you come and would you bring strength? Would you bring life, Lord? Anyone who's here today and maybe weak or weary or wounded or hurting or struggling, God, in any area of their life, Lord, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, Lord, we thank you that you are able and your heart is, God. You're not just able, but your desire today is to come and to encourage us as your people, to strengthen us, to challenge us, God, to bring fresh faith, to bring healing, to bring restoration, God, to bring courage for the future that every one of us has in you through Christ Jesus. We welcome you, we honor you, we thank you in advance, God, for speaking to us, reminding us of some things that you've spoken over us through your word, or maybe revealing to us in a new way or a fresh way some of the promises from your heart that we discover in your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, and come on, if you'll receive any or all that for yourself, your marriage, your family, and your future, give the Lord a good amen. All right, so we're gonna read from Nehemiah chapter eight. This is an awesome chapter. I think you'll see something as we read this. There's a pattern. What we do as a church when we gather together is not just something that we came up with. It's a pattern that's found in God's word. It's found in many places, but there's a real distinct example in Nehemiah chapter eight that describes the pattern of what we're doing together today gathered in the house of God as the people of God. So you'll see that, and then we'll get to this verse that many of us know, it's kind of a verse that's commonly understood and known, but maybe few of us, fewer of us is probably the better way to say it, have really dug in and understood the context of where we get this principle. I wanna talk to you this morning, that scripture that we're driving to is the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, so let's read together Nehemiah chapter eight, and it says this, verse one, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. I don't know if they had kids ministry back then, but... Can you see this pattern here? People gathered with a unified purpose in a specific place, opening up the Bible, men and women and the kids who were old enough to understand. I don't know, again, I don't know what they did with the kids who were young, but they did something with them. Maybe they did have some kind of a kids ministry or something. And isn't it cool to see how this just kind of 
this pattern unfold for what we do as a church every time when we gather together. And it says in verse three, reading on, he faced the square, speaking of Ezra, just inside the water gate, catch this, from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. It might be a little bit past noon today when I, when I let you out, but can you see this pattern of them gathering together, unified of purpose, in one place, as God's people, opening up God's word in the morning, wrapping up about noon. I don't know if they had a roast in the oven or something in the crock pot or whatever, but they wrapped up about noon to get about their day, get home to lunch. And you'll even see that here in a moment as we read on in chapter eight, verse four, it says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of the people, and when they saw him open the book, they rose to their feet. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. The people shouted, amen, amen, lifted their hands, bowed down in worship to the Lord with their faces on the ground. Come on, doesn't it sound like a little bit like what we're doing together today, right? Gathered in one place, unified in purpose, opening up the Bible in a specific place as God's people, worshiping the Lord, agreeing together with amens, bowing before the Lord, lifting our hands before the Lord, reading verse eight from the book of the law and clearly explaining the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage, which is hopefully what we're doing as we dig into God's word, just helping you to understand what God's speaking, what God's saying and how to apply it to your life, your marriage, your family, your future. And verse nine, reading on, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, do not mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. In the context of this passage is there's been a great turning away from God and people are coming back to God. And they're being challenged, they're being provoked, they're being convicted in their heart of their need to turn back to God. And I don't know about you, but I believe we need to see more of that in our culture. People coming back to God. One of the reasons we're called Rev City is we're believing that reverence for God Reverence for God's word would be restored in our community as we revive hearts through revealing Jesus and as we lead a revolution of faith and family. And so that's what's happening here. There's a revival, there's a returning to God. And it's actually prompting this conviction, this spirit of conviction. Man, we've been missing it. We've been living in our own strength. We've been doing it in our own way. And there's a spirit of conviction that needs to come to bring us to a place of brokenness, to a place of repentance, to a place of recognition that we desperately need God in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces once again. But So there's a good work that God's doing here, but the, the leaders of the church quickly kind of say, hey guys, this is good that this is happening, but be sure that you don't stay in this place of mourning or weeping. This is a good day. This is a sacred day, it says. But it says, watch this, Nehemiah, verse 10. Ne Nehemiah is now dismissing the service, right? He's dismissing the service, and watch what he says, verse 10. He continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share a gift of food with people who have nothing prepared. I think he's talking to people with teenagers right there probably, right? And it says, this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Here's where we've been driving to reading this entire chapter. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, someone repeat after me. Say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says, verse 11, the Levites too quieted the people saying, hush, don't weep, this is a sacred day. So people went away to eat and drink a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Someone say, great joy. Because they had heard God's words and understood them. It says, the joy of the Lord is your 
strength. Really, isn't there a lot of things that you might think that God would use to bring strength into our life? But it's God's heart for us to live in strength. It's God's heart for us to stand firm and stand strong. And more than ever in the culture of the day with everything we're up against, everything we're going through, it's not catching God off guard. But the thing that's inevitably true is it's going to be more important than ever for us to understand that God's heart for us as the people of God is to stand firm and stand strong. Be strong and be courageous is one of the most frequent commands of God in the Bible. Not a suggestion, but a command to the people of God. Be strong and be courageous. You look up the definition for strong and here's what it means. I think hopefully if we understand what God's heart is for us, we can begin to desire and pursue and apprehend this in our lives of faith. Here's what strength means, if you look it up. Capacity for physical or mental accomplishment or endurance. And remember, this, this is God's heart. We read that word, but this is what God wants you to, to experience in your life of faith. Capacity for physical or mental accomplishment or endurance. The power or ability to resist attack. Being equipped to accomplish, to endure, or once again we see, to resist Attack. This is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for me. This is God's heart for us as the people of God to stand firm, to stand strong in our faith. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. God's recipe, God's formula for success, especially in the day and the culture, the hour that we live in. Be on your guard, stand firm. In the faith, be courageous, be strong. Ephesians 6.10, a final word, brothers and sisters, speaking to you, speaking to me, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. His heart is for you to be strong. His heart is for you to stand firm. And joy is the pathway to strengthen God's kingdom. Spiritual, joy brings spiritual strength to you and I. I said it last week as I was preaching a, a message that was really hopefully encouraging to the church at large, but it was kind of in the context of Mother's Day and I was encouraging moms with this principle and the Lord just began to throughout the week just kind of unpack it for me and call me to kind of go back and take a little bit deeper dive in this because it's critically important. Here's what we can understand and know is true, that if, if joy is, represents spiritual strength and God's heart is for us to be spiritually strong, the enemy's gonna come and oppose to try to get us to operate in an absence or avoid a joy. Because he understands when we're operating in an absence of joy, we're in a weakened spiritual condition. And when we're in a weakened spiritual condition, we're more vulnerable to the attacks, to the, to the traps, to the devices of the enemy, to try to divide us, to try to isolate us and destroy us. And so here's what you need to understand today. Joy leads to spiritual strength and God's heart is for you to be strong in the Lord. Philippians 4 verse 1 begins to show us and, and underlines God's heart for this. And here's the thing I wanna show you today. We'll get into the practicals of how do we live this out, Pastor T? Because when God brings a, a principle or a promise, he always brings about the, the, the process or the principles for how to walk it out. He doesn't leave us hanging. He does, doesn't leave us longing. He doesn't leave us kind of questioning how do we do this. If God's heart is for us to live in joy, which leads to spiritual strength, he's gonna show us in his word how we can do, how we can do it. And then it's our part to heed the word of God and begin to live it out in our lives day by day by day. So Philippians 4 verse 1 just underlines this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, once again, that's always speaking to you and I. You whom I, lo I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Watch what he says. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. 
So he's saying, God's heart is for you, he's writing to the church at Philippi, is to stand firm, to stand strong, and he says, in this way, this is how you're gonna be able to do this. So, so the context of this is, is the how of how to stand firm and stand strong. Verse four, just a couple verses down, here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. God doesn't mince words or waste words. Anytime in the Bible where something is repeated, it's for added emphasis. It's to draw attention to something that maybe has added significance to living in victory in our lives of faith. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, it's so important, I'm gonna repeat it, I'm gonna say it again to make sure that you catch the significant importance of this to standing firm and standing strong in your life of faith. Again, I will say rejoice. Someone say rejoice. rejoice. Say it again, rejoice. Did you know contrary to popular religious belief, God is not in a bad mood? Did you know that heaven, the Bible is real clear, there's, there's feasting, there's rejoicing, there's celebrating that's going on? Did you know that today when Maddie, just one, it's interesting, just one person coming to be baptized today, did you know that the Bible says that with all the activities of heaven, God holding the earth and the universes and, and all the things, the galaxies in the palm of his hand, that all of heaven comes to a standstill to rejoice over Maddie's decision to follow Christ and to publicly testify to her faith through this public step of obedience to baptism. Luke 15, Jesus is talking about this. Watch what he says. It says, Jesus told him a story, verse three. If a man has a 100 sheep, and just one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Come on, I don't know about you, but I was once the one wayward one, and I'm grateful that God was willing to leave the 99 to come and find me, to run after me, to chase after me, that he wasn't willing to allow me to remain lost in my sin. He loved me when I was in that condition, but he loved me too much to leave me there. Aren't you grateful that God leaves the 99 to come after the one? Come on, how many of you can rejoice and celebrate that you once were the one, and now you're found, now you're found, now you're found. This is the heart of God. He didn't come to build a denomination or a congregation. He came to rescue sons and daughters back to relationship. That's speaking of you and me. And so it says, when he has found it, the one that had gone astray, just the one, he's already got the 99. Couldn't he have just been happy with the 99? No, he's not happy until everyone, his heart is for everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it says, when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Watch what he says, red letter words, the words of Jesus, in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus doubles down on this same chapter, Luke 15, and remember we've established when God repeats something, when he underlines something, when he revisits something, it's to add significance so that we can kind of lean into this principle and begin to apply it to our life with added focus. Fast forward down to verse eight, same chapter. He's already made it pretty clear, right? in the parable of the 99 and the one, but watch what he says, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. She has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Man, how many of you have ever lost something that was really important to you and it was just maddening because you just could not find it, you were looking, you were asking, you were searching and you just could not find it and inevitably in those moments you have the, the well-meaning friend or loved one that comes, into, comes to your life and says, well, where's the last place that you had it? And I know what they're trying to do, they're trying to kind of provoke your memory or trying to cause you to kind of retrace your steps or whatever, but you know, really that's kind of a silly question. If I knew the last place was where I had it, I would go there and I would find it, right? 
So this woman has lost a silver coin. Verse eight, it says, won't she, the woman who's lost one coin, she still has nine, but she's lost one coin, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, watch this, won't she call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. Someone say, rejoice. Because I've found my lost coin. Watch, Jesus underlines it again. He doubles down in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. When even one, and can you imagine there were multiple people in this service or the nine o'clock service who gave their life to Christ? Can you imagine the body of Christ and the way that the gospel's being preached across all the time zones and all the nations and all the continents and all the people that today are hearing for the first time or responding for the first time or coming back to God in a new way, all the ways that heaven is celebrating, heaven is filled with joyful applause and celebration because the people of God are responding to the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Contrary to popular religious belief, God is not in a bad mood. There's joy and rejoicing in heaven, and he says in the same way that we understand the sense of joy that we have when we find something that was lost, when we discover something that we thought had been abandoned. In the same way, God is rejoicing over the people who are coming home to Christ. God's heart is for us to stand strong, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, they're related, but joy is different than happiness. Joy is God's superior version of happiness. Happiness is tied to circumstances, Happiness is tied to things that are fleeting and circumstantial. But joy is an abiding thing. Joy is a superior version of happiness. The world is searching after happiness and there's a level or measure of happiness that can be found that's fleeting and circumstantial. Come on, in the applause of people, in the, in the bottom of the bottle, in the pills or the porn or whatever it is, there's a sense of happiness that's fleeting and circumstantial. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's here today and it leaves you longing for more. It's here today and it doesn't fill you up in a way that's lasting and complete. And the Bible is clear about the fact that there's a joy that we can have. There's a peace that we can have that's different than the peace and the joy that the world has to offer and it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's heart for you, for me, come on, is that we in this season and everything that we're going through, it's not catching God off guard. It's not catching him off guard. He told us some of these things would begin to happen. And even in the midst of that, he says, my heart for you is to stand firm, to stand strong, to be courageous, and to do it. He says, my recipe is found in understanding the importance and the significance of protecting spiritual joy. Because issues of life will try to steal your joy. James 1, verse two through four, helps us to understand God's heart for us to have joy in every season, every circumstance. Again, there's, there's a happiness that the world is pursuing that's fleeting and circumstantial, but as a believer, the joy that you have the invitation to live out and walk in is not tied to how things go. It's tied to who you know. And beyond who you know, what you know about what he's done for you and through you and what he's leading you towards and to you, the promises of God for your life. The joy that we have is not tied to our circumstances or our surround, surroundings or the applause of people. James 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Really, God? You're saying I can even find joy in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a test, in the midst of a trial? Watch, you read on. Verse two, when, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance, let it finish its work. God's working in you. You're going through a test. You're going through a challenge. You're going through a triumph. God's doing a work in your life. 
He's forming character in you. He's preparing you for the promises of God. He says, let it do its work in you so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Even when you're going through something, you can have joy, good times or bad. As a believer, the sense of joy that you have access to, again, if it bears repeating, is not tied to how things go. It's tied to who you know. We, sometimes we cannot, oftentimes we cannot, determine or select the things that we have to go through in life. And Jesus didn't promise, we don't do anyone any favors when we bring people to Christ, to promise them a life that doesn't have adversity or obstacles or opposition. And Jesus said it just the opposite. He said, in this life, in this world, you will have troubles. There will be times. There will be unforeseen things, unexpected things. We're living in a fallen, broken world. There's a day coming, if you read the end of the story, where he'll wipe every tear. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be only joy that remains for all of eternity for those who are found in Christ Jesus. But he didn't promise that we wouldn't go through unforeseen, unexpected, or painful moments in this life. He just promised that he would be with us as we walk through them. And we don't get a chance to determine some of the things we encounter in life, but we always get the opportunity to determine what we will partner with God to call it in faith. That, that, that needs to be said again. We don't get the opportunity to determine what we go through in life, but we always have the opportunity to determine how we will partner with God to name it in faith. Something that the, Lord, that the world looks at and says, well, look at that failure. Stepped out and tried to be married, stepped out and tried to start the business, went back to school to do the thing. And the world looks at it and says, that's a failure. With God, there are no failures. There's just learning opportunities. We have the opportunity to say, Proverbs 24, 16 says this, though a righteous person, a righteous person, that's you and I found in Christ Jesus, falls seven times, they rise again and keep moving towards the purposes of God. I love it. I saw a book title one time. It said this, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And in God's kingdom, there's never a failure. If we'll get up and we'll just keep moving forward, you don't get the choice to describe or decide rather what you go through in life, but you get the chance, that's probably a good way to say it, to describe what it will be to you. The world says failure. I say, God, thank you that you're teaching me and training me, and I'm gonna keep moving, and I'm gonna understand there's another shot that I'm gonna have. There's another opportunity. There's another door that's gonna open. There's another relationship, and I'm gonna take what you've learned, what you've taught me, what I've learned through that experience that the world calls failure, and I'm gonna begin to apply it in my life for your glory and for the opportunity to do it in a way that connects me to your purposes and your goodness in my life. Embarrassment. I... I, I I don't know if you saw or you were here a few weeks ago. I preached with my fly down the whole service. <laughs> we go through embarrassing things, and I just said, Lord, it's an opportunity for me to grow in humility right there. <laughs> my weakness, a vehicle for God's strength. My mistakes, a canvas for God's grace. Delay is a season of preparation. I thought it was gonna already happen. I thought I'd already be healed. I thought I'd already be married. I thought I'd already be successful. And I promise you, delay is almost always a season of God's preparation. We tend to pray this prayer, God, promote me. The better prayer, I'm convinced, is God, prepare me. Because he's doing a work. When, before God builds high, he digs deep. He's building character. He's fashioning character. If you get the calling without the character, what's intended to be a blessing can actually be a burden. What's intended to bring healing can actually bring harm. God, prepare me. And his ways are higher. His timelines are higher. What he sees 
is beyond what we have access to see with our earthly eyes. And I've seen so many believers get thrown into the pitfall of of disappointment and discouragement that leads to depression or despair because of delay and disappointment. You remember in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, where God was leading the people of Israel forward to the promised land, he had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would come and do for you and I, you remember? And you remember as he was leading them across through the journey, it it says this, it says, God led them towards the promised land in the roundabout way. In other words, there was a shorter path to get to the promise of God. And it says, God led them in the roundabout way. And if you go and reread it for yourself, you read on and it says, because he knew that if the people came against a battle, they would turn back. And here's what we can apprehend is that God's delay as they looked and maybe they didn't have the benefit of the hindsight that we now have through the written word of God, I'm sure they thought, what in the world is God doing? This delay, we could have gone this way. God's taken us this roundabout way. Delay and disappointment are almost always, someone should write this down. Delay and disappointment are almost always God's protection or better plan connection. It's almost always true. Man, I, I think about some of the biggest blessings in my life are unanswered prayers. And you know it's true. I think about some of the things that in the moment I desperately thought I needed or wanted, regardless of what it was, this opportunity or this person or whatever, and I look back and I just say, Lord, thank you that your delay and that moment, that desire that I had, that I thought this was the solution or I thought this was the person, thank you that delay that sometimes would cause some disappointment was absolutely unequivocally your protection and better plan connection for me. And someone needs to hear that today. You think that, that God's not coming through for you? I'm telling you, he's working on your behalf. He's keeping you from something because he's got a better plan than what you can see. Eye has not seen or ear has not heard what good things that God has for you. He wants to do more than you can ask, think, or even imagine. Hang on, hold on, keep the faith, keep loving, keep serving, keep giving, keep forgiving, keep following Christ. He's gonna get you to the promised land and he knows the things that lie before you that you can't see. Delay and disappointment are almost always God's protection or better plan, connection. Issues of life will come and try to steal your joy. Failure, embarrassment, weakness, mistakes, delay, disappointment, trials, troubles, tests, John 16. Jesus said, therefore, in this world you'll have sorrows, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and you'll have joy that no one can take from you. Circumstances will change, happiness will come and go. There'll be times where, 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 where you got people applauding you, there'll be times where there'll be people opposing you, there'll be times where you're prospering in your finances, there'll be times where there's seasons of maybe lack or things that aren't coming through and the timing of the way that you had hoped or had believed for, I'm telling you, those things are fleeting and circumstantial and Jesus says right there, if you'll keep your eyes on me, I'll see you again and there's a joy that people cannot take from you. There's a joy that is so deeply embedded in the fabric of your soul that even when you're up or down or anywhere in between, there's a joy that can't be stolen. He says they won't be able to take it from you. So so I wanna encourage you, four things to walk in that kind of joy. Again, all right, and and, and by the way, this is not a big hype message or 
or anything. I mean, I, I'm really challenging you with this because actually, joy, this kind of joy is not necessarily always felt or sensed in our emotions. This is the kind of joy that we know. It's an anchor, the Bible says, this kind of hope for our soul. It's an anchor for our soul. And so there'll be times where you feel it. There'll be times where you have the emotions. There'll be times where you get the spiritual goosebumps. There'll be times where there's laughter and there's joy. But there'll be other times where you're going through a real hard or difficult season. And that's what God said right here. Consider it pure joy even when you go through those kind of things. So, so it's not always this kind of like, I'm not challenging all of us to just kind of become all these bubbly extroverted people or whatever. I mean, there's an element that we need to have. We ought to sound and look different. There ought to be hope and enthusiasm and excitement and faith that enters the room when we enter the room because we're ambassadors for Christ, because we're carriers of the gospel of grace. But this is not about emotions. This is about faith. And, and, and faith is, the, is, is not the absence of doubt or problems it's the presence of God in the midst of problems. So, so there's four ways to walk in that kind of joy, joy that's unshakable, the kind of joy that Jesus spoke about, there, joy that they can't take from you. Number one is we gotta value it. We gotta value it. We gotta see this differently. This is not just an emotion. This is not just happiness. This is not something circumstantial. Jesus, did you know that Jesus needed joy to fulfill his purpose in life? To fulfill his destiny in life, Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It means Jesus went through something that was really hard. He didn't wanna do it. It didn't feel good to his flesh, but he understood that on the other side of faith and obedience to God's call upon his life, there was a joy that was coming. You know what I think the joy was? You and I in heaven, forgiven, in a way that we couldn't do, a way that he knew only he could do. We gotta value it, we gotta see this differently. We gotta redefine. We gotta, we gotta kinda discard this earthly, worldly concept of happiness that's fleeting and circumstantial and we gotta begin to embrace there's a strength that God desires for me to stand in and the joy of the Lord is my strength. So we gotta value it. Number two, we gotta protect it. We have to fiercely defend it. We gotta realize that there are full-scale attacks to try to steal it from us. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Your translation might even say it this way, a little bit even more plainly. For it determines the course or direction of your life. He says, above everything else. How many know that implies significance and focus? He says, there's a lot of things you could focus on in your life of faith, but he says, above everything else, you better make a determination. You're gonna guard the condition of your heart. Recently, my pickup truck, I started getting a warning you know, on your dash, how you have the kind of like the things that pop up, like check oil, service engine, whatever. And I started getting one that said this. It said service anti-theft system. And, and, and I thought, man, that's interesting. And it kept coming up and kept coming up. And I actually took it to try to get it fixed. And they kind of couldn't figure it out. They said, we'll have to maybe take a video of it or a picture of it or whatever and bring it back. We'll see if we can get it fixed for you. And it kept happening and happening. And I thought... Eventually, I thought, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me? Because I believe it's a good thing when something like that happens, it's kind of kind of hard to put your finger on it or whatever, and just, just kind of slow down and say, God, are you trying to speak something to me? Because he's almost always trying to speak something to you. And he began to speak to me about the same way that that pickup truck was starting to say service anti-theft system. He said, Thomas, there are some places, there are some principles, there are some promises, there are some words that I've intended for you to use as an anti-theft system because the thief is always going around to kill, steal, and destroy, Right? And he said, there's, there's an anti-theft system based in my word, my promises that I've intended for you to have over your heart. Remember, above all else, guard your heart. 
And he began to show me, can I just get real with you for a moment? He began to show me how there were some things that in previous seasons in my walk of faith, I had done well. I've, I've recognized that these are attacks of the enemy, things that are trying to trip me up or kind of cause me to get discouraged or, or depressed. And I realized that in the last couple of months, I've kind of let my guard down a little bit in the area of my heart. And there have been some things where I've just been kind of just, just kind of going through a dry season spiritually, just kind of struggling with some things, places that, again, in previous seasons, I've done better at recognizing, hey, that's a lie from the enemy, and I've come against the enemy with the word of God. And I just realized I had just gotten a little casual. I, I just kind of drifted from some things, some disciplines that I've learned over the years in my faith in Christ that I need to do, that I must do to guard my heart. And that thing came on the other day and it said service anti-theft system and the Holy Spirit of God just spoke to me and said, I'm trying to get your attention because there's some things that I've intended for you to use to apply, to speak and declare, to guard and protect your heart and you've gotten lazy, you've gotten careless, you've gotten casual about it and I'm calling you back to that place and I'm telling you, I was so thankful that the Lord used something very practical to speak something deeply spiritual to me and he'll do the same for you. Above all else, guard your heart. And I began to realize that the same way that there was this alarm going on telling me that there's something that was maybe potentially off in my vehicle, that there was some things that God was trying to use in, in, in my life to kind of get my attention, to call me back to that place of standing firm, standing strong, speaking and declaring the word of God over my life, over my marriage, over my mind, over my heart. And you know, so we, in, 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 in that pickup truck, I had the benefit of having this electronic system that kind of gives you the warning or whatever. And did you know that it's a little bit different, but God's wired you the same way? That we can actually begin to look. Did you know that, that pain, especially physical pain, is actually one way that God uses to try to call attention to an area of our physical body that needs special attention, right? In fact, people that can't experience pain because of nerve damage or whatever, it's actually very problematic for them, right? Because they can actually be, be enduring a, a burn or a break or a, or a laceration or something, and they don't have the awareness of it, and so they can't bring the attention to it. And so here, here's where I'm going with this. Maybe the place where you need to begin to give attention to is the place or the person or the circumstance where you're dealing with anxiety or fear or doubt. Maybe it's God's way of saying, hey, there's something that's kinda off right here that I need you, I'm calling you back in that place with that relationship with that person, with that circumstance or that situation, with that challenge that you're up against, with that opportunity that I'm calling you to, that we begin to realize that those things that are not aligned with God because he's not given us a spirit of fear, right, but a spirit of power and love and a self-control, a sound mind. So when, when we begin to experience those things, we begin to say, okay, God, I'm gonna slow down a little bit. And, and here's, here's the thing. You know what I did with that pickup truck that began to experience that, exhibit that, that condition, service anti-theft system? I took it to the place that had designed it and manufactured it. The same is the invitation for us. Get in the presence of the one who designed you, who created you on purpose, for a purpose. There's some things you maybe can do. There's some people that maybe can help you, but I'm telling you the number one thing, the number one place that you need to go is into his presence. Philippians 4.4 says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Get in his presence. Verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. Verse six, continued instructions for how to live this out. Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Someone say with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That Greek word, 
For guard is the, is the word, the Greek word phoreo, it's a military term, and here's what it means, to guard, protect by military guard, to prevent a hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from keeping flight. In other words, it's twofold. This guard that God intends to put on, around your heart is gonna keep the fiery darts of the enemy at bay, it's gonna keep the enemy of your soul, it's gonna keep the lies of the enemy, it's gonna keep his deceptions at bay, and it's gonna prevent the promises and the goodness of God from fleeing the premises. It's an amazing promise. God says, above all, guard your heart. He says, with thanksgiving, with prayer, with rejoicing. This is God's pattern. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And there's this connection between joy and gratitude. Again, I, I just kind of sharing the reality of something I've been going through just recently. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in a bad place or anything, just going through just kind of some spiritual dryness and just a few areas of my life, just kind of some discouragement that in previous seasons, I've kind of done a better job at kind of insulating myself from by being obedient to this. And I just kind of got casual. I mean, I, I hope it's okay for me to admit, sometimes I just get busy or whatever, and I look up, and I'm like, man, Lord, thank you for just calling me back to that place. And here's what I realized is that there were some places and ways, I mean, the, the church staff can tell you about it. I'm not, I'm not, to my own horn, I'm just sharing a principle with you and, and sharing the benefit that I've experienced as I've been faithful to walk this out. But the church staff can tell you that, that I have a way of just walking through the halls and people be around the corner or whatever and I just, I outwardly, verbally, oftentimes I'm just outwardly expressing my thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord. I'll just be walking down the hall and I'll just be saying thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. Thank you, Lord, for the plans and purposes that you have. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, for the people of this church. Thank you, Lord, for this staff. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for my health. Thank you, God, for your hand upon my life. Thank you for your direction. I'm just outwardly, I'm just constantly just giving thanks. Just giving thanks. Just thanking the Lord. And I realized over this last couple months I'd kind of drifted from that discipline. And I was so thankful that the Lord kind of shined a light on it and I just began to just get back to that place of just outwardly and intentionally and verbally beginning to just thank the Lord for who he was, what he's done, and what he's doing in my life. And I'm telling you, in the last few weeks, I mean, just in a rapid time, as I began to just rededicate myself to that spiritual discipline, it's been amazing to see how that kind of scheme of depression and discouragement that had kind of, was just starting to kind of trickle in, began to just, began to just be defeated by this air of gratitude, by this, this, this sense of appreciation for what God was doing in my life and the things where I had kind of become discouraged or disillusioned with some things because of delay and disappointment with some things I'm hoping for God to do and some things I see in our culture that really are maybe cause for concern, I began to just thank God that he's, he's still moving, that he's done things in my life, that he's not done with me and it began to just insulate my heart from those ungodly forces. I'm telling you, there's a connection between gratitude and joy. Study after study, not from beacons of Christian worldview. I'm talking about places like the University of California, Harvard Medical School. Those places have done studies that have shown time and time again that what God's word says is true. Those who have, and more importantly, those who outwardly express their gratitude are healthier, happier, more fulfilled, less susceptible to depression and despair. When you begin to sense an attack of discouragement, again, coming to try to steal your joy, because the enemy realizes and recognizes when you're not operating in a spiritual joy. Again, something deep and abiding, not circumstantial, circumstantial or temporal. When you're not living from that posture of joy, you're in a weakened spiritual condition, vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We gotta value it, we gotta protect it. 
protected. We protect what's important to us. We protect what's important to us. So thankful there's a couple guys we didn't ask for. We didn't cast vision independent of one another. They came to us as a church leadership, and they said, hey, the Lord just told me to come. One has a security company. said, the Lord told me to come and just, and just free of charge, just uh, uh, install a complete security system in the church just here to help deter some things that are going on in our culture. Another man came and said, hey, the Lord just called me to just come and just offer to help kind of strengthen and beefen some of the security that we have in our kids' wing, especially at our entrances and our exits of the, the, the children's wing. And here's the point. I'm so, super thankful, by the way, for God just moving the hearts of those individuals to come and do something. I mean, it's very, very generous what they've offered to do. But here's the underlying point. We protect what's valuable to us. Come on, there's nothing more valuable than that generation of kids who are back there learning about Jesus and learning that God created them on purpose for a purpose and understanding and being raised up and trained up in God's word to know God and love God and being prepared to serve God with all their life. And we protect what's important to us. We gotta start seeing joy as important. We gotta discard this definition that the world has of temporal happiness and understand that joy leads to spiritual strength. Lastly, I gotta move quick. Number three, secure the source. Secure the source. Secure the source. When In medieval times when they would build, they would kind of search out and determine a place where they would build a castle that would kind of be the central headquarters of a big community of people. The number one thing they would look for is a place where they could build the castle in a way that the source of water for that community would be behind the walls of the castle. Here's what was at stake. If they weren't able to build it in a place where they could secure the water source, the enemy of that people or that community would not even have to wage war against them. All they had to do is come and introduce something dead or decaying into the water source that flowed into that city. And the enemy's up to the same trick today. He'll go into the source that's flowing into your life and he'll introduce something, someone, something that happened, some mistake, some sin, something dead or dying or associated with your past. And he'll try to put it into the stream that's intended to flow into your life because he realizes if you don't secure the source of your joy, you can't afford to allow people to have access to the source of your joy. Because people will pollute it. People will throw things in it. People will, will, will put labels on you. People will remind you of things that you did. And he says, secure the source. The source of our joy is the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know if there's an order of priority to that, but I know one thing. The Bible says faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And what's the number one thing on the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. Joy is the second. It's tied to spiritual strength. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit and it's perishable. Fruit is perishable. Every day you gotta spend time, you gotta secure the source. Lord, today, I thank you. I remind myself, I don't know all the things that lie ahead of my day. I do know there's a few things, some challenging meetings or conversations I have to have. I remind myself today that the fruit, the evidence of your spirit is joy in my life. And it's not hype, and it's not emotions, and it's not extroverted activity. It's just this quiet, still confidence that I have. It's not tied to how things go. It's tied to who I know. Number four, last thing. Close right here. You gotta understand that joy can be restored. The psalmist underlined it for us. Psalm 51, verse 12, when he said this, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Not my circumstances, not the applause or popularity from people, 
not my bank account being flush, not any of those things that the world says we have to have to experience the kind of happiness that the world says that we need. He said, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? And here's the promise to you. You could be going through a dark moment, a difficult moment, the valleys of life, the fires of life, the winds and the wave of life. And there's a joy. Remember, consider it a joy. Even when you go through those things, God's working in your life. He's with you. He's for you. He said, restore the joy of my salvation. On your darkest day, in your worst moments, the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God that you've experienced in Christ Jesus. That's the joy of your salvation. And even in my darkest moments, I can say, Lord, I thank you that this thing that I'm going through, unforeseen, unexpected, painful, regrettable, cannot separate me from what I have in Christ Jesus because it was never about me. I didn't get good to deserve it. I didn't earn it. It was all a free gift. That's the joy of salvation. I am blood bought. I am redeemed. I am restored. I am made new. I'm a new creation. I'm on my way to heaven. God has, God has loved me. God has chosen me. God is with me. God is for me. And he'll never leave and forsake me. Come on. That's the kind of joy, the source of joy that's deep and abiding in your life that's not easily stolen or taken by the people around you or by the circumstances that you go through. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And let's respond to God. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. I want to declare over you that this would be a season of understanding and apprehending and protecting and valuing and guarding the joy of your salvation. The joy of the Lord. And again, sometimes it'll be expressed outwardly through your emotions, but oftentimes it's just that still quiet confidence. The joy of your salvation. The deeper it's rooted and found and, and anchored into the fabric of your soul, the harder it is for the people and the circumstances of this world to rob it or steal it from you. Lord, would you help us to be a people that walk in that kind of joy? That's a joy that transcends the definition that the world has for happiness. The joy of our salvation. The joy from knowing that God loved us so much he loved us right where we were when we were far from him, lost in our sin. But he loved us too much to leave us there. He sent Jesus to come and make a way to rescue us, to bring us back into a relationship. When I think about that, it doesn't matter how things are going around me because of who I know and what God's done in me. That's a joy that's unshakable. That's a joy that's unstealable. And Lord, that's my heart. That's my hope as a pastor of this church. That's my prayer over the people of this church, every man, every woman, every young adult, every marriage, every home, every family, Lord, that we would be, Lord, anchored and rooted in your joy, Lord, that we would find our joy in you, not the circumstances, not the fleeting things, not the definitions that this world brings for happiness, God, but in our knowledge and our understanding, God, of what you've done in our life, the deep work of salvation. We're so thankful, God. Let that be the wellspring of joy. Would I pray for anyone here today, Lord, who's going through delay or disappointment that's bringing discouragement, God? I pray that you would help them, Lord, to grab a hold of what I encourage them with today, that you're working on their behalf, that you see beyond, Lord, that you have a higher way, a better way, God, that it really is your heart to bring protection and better plan connection to them, Lord. You see where you're leading them. And you see the things that are in between where they are today and where you've got to get them to, God. And I pray that there would be a joy that would rise up from a sense of trust, deepening trust, a commitment to trust you, Lord. And in fact, right now, before I give people an opportunity to give their hearts to Jesus, if that's you today, I just want to take a moment and just kind of park right there on that moment. If, if that's you, 
just facing discouragement, disappointment because of maybe a delay or a disappointment, something you thought would have already happened, something you thought God would have already done in your life, can I just ask you to be obedient and just take whatever that thing is, that hope, that dream, that desire, would you just lift your hands before the Lord as if you're just presenting it to Him in an act of surrender? Lord, whatever it is, God, we trust you that we're just holding it before you, God. And we ask you, Lord, to just give us the ability, the grace the grace of God to trust you in a new way, a fresh way, a deeper way, God. And that as we trust you, Lord, it would disarm, it would cut off the ability of the enemy to bring that discouragement or even depression or despair. And if there's anyone today who's already kind of caught up in the throes of depression or despair because of delay or disappointment, God, I pray that today you would come and on the way that only you could do, Lord, would you bring healing to their heart, God? Would you restore and renew their heart, God? Would you bring fresh faith? and courage and strength, Lord, because of your joy in their heart, God, today. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Lastly, before we worship the Lord one more time together today, just take a moment here and give people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Or to come home back into a relationship with their Heavenly Father. Maybe you're here today or joining us online. And you're just weighed down with, with sin, guilt, shame, the condemnation, the way the enemy uses our mistakes to kind of beat us up and keep us hindered from moving forward. If that's you today, the, the, the offer of God, the, the truth of the gospel, the message, the good news that we preach is that the salvation that you have access to is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Right now, right now, with whatever you're going through, whatever you're up against, whatever you're weighed down by, God loves you too much to leave you in that condition. It's the reason he sent Jesus. And you just respond to a free gift of grace through faith today. Or maybe you're here joining us online and you once knew God, loved God, served God, but you've just drifted from God. You've gotten preoccupied with the cares of this world, the definitions that this world says you have to live out to be deemed successful or happy. And today, the heart of God is the same toward you as the heart of the father in that parable Jesus told of the prodigal son. His arms are wide open, he's waiting, he's expectant, he's eager, he's longing for him back. This day, this moment where you would just come home to him. Just come home to him. He's, he's waiting with his arms wide open to welcome you back into a relationship with him. So right now, a sacred moment, a holy moment, an important moment, a life-changing moment for many people if that's you, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're in either one of those camps or anywhere in between, right now, be bold, don't delay. Right now, here's what I want to ask you to do. Raise your hand high towards heaven. Say, that's me, I need to be forgiven. That's me, I need to come back home into the arms of my father, back into his house. Just lift your hand as an outward sign, a simple but powerful outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your life. In this room and online, powerfully important just to lift your hand. If you, if you raised your hand, you can lower it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer with these precious people because we want them to hear right from the start there's a church family that wants to come alongside them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them. Come on, if they stumble like we did, just help them get back up and keep moving towards God's plan and purpose for their life. And the second reason we do it every week is it just reminds us every week we don't graduate from grace, right? So let's, come on, pray this prayer boldly. Repeat it after me and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I could never pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say this part loudly, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. Now, come on, heaven's rejoicing. Can we join with them? There's joy in heaven. 
when even one person comes home. Hey, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. And I pray that this week that the joy of the Lord really would be your strength. Don't let go of what God's doing, done in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He's working in your life. Hang on to the joy of the Lord. Let it be your strength this week to go and do and be and fulfill all the things he's called you to do and be and accomplish with your life. Amen. Hey, let's worship the Lord one more time together. And Adrian's going to dismiss us today. God bless you. We love you.